Cradeline Network. I am the law, and this is the 34th episode of Big Meg One, the podcast where we patrol our way to Judge Dread magazine. And that's not all, because this is also where we discuss Judge Dread branded specials, annuals, and yearbooks. And to that end, we're looking at the 1994 Judge Dread yearbook. This is the third Dread yearbook and 14th Dread annual generally, and the second to last one. As always, these books are dated for the year after they're released in, and this time we've got big stories for Judges Armitage, Dredd, and Hershey, and the return of artist Mick McMahon. Very exciting. But more exciting than all that, to me, is that I'm looking at it with Colin. You'll never walk alone from the 2084 albums. Welcome, Colin. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, and, and morning, everybody. But Well, regardless of when you listen to this. I'll say morning, you know, yeah. morning here now. Morning for us, whenever it is for you. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast zone. Uh, c- c- come, we last had you on for the 1985-2080 annual, and here we are nine comic book years later to discuss these magazine happenings. Yeah, it f- feels like a long time in my, in, in my previous reading life, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, even just in our... in. We talked about this before the show, but even just in the life of the, our podcast coverage, I feel like, you know, just anything that's sort of pre-pandemic to now feels like it's just in a different a different place in the world or something like that. I'm so much more comfortable talking on these things than I was when we did it over Skype. You certainly, um, yeah. We certainly all, years ago. <laughs> all, all increased our skills in terms of distance communications. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, we'll see. But... Since we've last talked, of course, it, like I said, it's it, it's been a long time for the comics themselves. Do you have any memories of of the early nineties, like nineteen ninety three and stuff like that in your comic well, reading? Nineteen ninety three was a very significant year for me, and it was the year I went to university, uh, and it was also mm-hmm. the year really when I was drifting away from two thousand eight day and, and uh, the Judge Dread magazine. And I genuinely, I really can't remember if I had this originally or not, this particular um, yearbook. Mm-hmm. I did get a couple of the yearbooks when they come out, but I'm suspecting they were the first couple. Um, but at this point, I'd gone to Sheffield, where I am now, mm-hmm. to study. Uh, my parents were still getting all the comics sent through home. And when I was coming back from the holidays or whatnot, or visit my parents, I would sort of have these little increasingly small little bursts of, of catching up and, and, and feeling like, oh, I can't be bothered reading that, can't be bothered reading that, to the extent that, that I definitely remember where you're up to in, where, where, where you, you, you currently, mm-hmm. when we're talking, release them, yeah. things like the Summer Offensive, that was like a big deal, had lots of thoughts on that. Um, but as we go further through, I, I, get, I, I realized I was reading less and less of, of the actual mm-hmm. comics, even though they were landing, uh, until such time as I, I'm post-university in 1996 i was in my wilderness years so i wasn't even getting it regularly but at this stage very much uh, i was in my black and white indie comics phase so i was getting things like cerebus and you know whatever else was around mm-hmm. at that time it just got into bone all those sorts of things and so 2000 AD, even though it was trying to push its own boundaries was kind of moving away from where my focus was and didn't mm-hmm. seem as it tried to become cool, was becoming less and less cool to me, if that makes <laughs> sense. Um, because I was, you know, I was, I was into all these really, you know, I was getting to music a lot more, sort of rock and roll indie comics. I was, mm-hmm. I was leaving a much more interesting life than I had been 
as an 18 year old <laughs> in Barnston Wirral. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I was in a period of change much as, as, mm-hmm. as, as to be fair, the comic was at the time. Um, and you know, I, I was drifting from it. And so it's really nice. To, I mean, I've, I've got them all back since. So it's really nice to revisit these things with a slightly fresher head, uh, with mm-hmm. slightly different perspectives on it now. So it's been really fun reading this. Um, well, ups and downs, but it's been fun uh, yeah, as an experience. Overall, right? <laughs> to reflect back. But yeah, no, so, so 1993 was a very significant year for me. Um, and, and sadly, one that saw me slowly drifting away from um, I mean, Fog and his, his Frill Palace. I'll certainly uh, say, to, like, to help you feel better, I guess, that I feel like your story, and I've said this before, is, is a common one. You know, It certainly like, is, yeah. Definitely reaching a point where I think the, of the people I'm talking to, you know, I, I certainly know a lot of, 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 of prog oneers or other things like that. People who had been in the comic for an extended period of time and are now... You know, as you know, times, you know, it's been whatever, 15, 16 years and you're just you, yeah. everyone who read the comic as a kid is, you know, growing up and yeah. finding finding pints, ladies and rock music or whatever. Or if you're slightly exactly younger, maybe, like, like, <laughs> like video games as well. Or, you know, there's just there's a like both growing up presents a, a larger landscape for you than comics. And I think even people at the time sometimes um like just new forms of entertainment are also sort of providing other things. I think it's really interesting what you said about um, going to some more of the like more, more indie comics, like, like Cerebus or, or bone or something like that. I guess for me, and this might, you know, this is my, my Americanism, I guess. <laughs> but especially when it was in black and white, I feel like to me, 2000 AD really felt like it was in, the, I would include it almost in that category of being like, <laughs> A, a weird indie thing just because it's not the uh not the bright superhero comics that i'm i'm used to you know yeah but i guess from our perspective again it's back to right. say that 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 thing is it, it was all pervasive it was in news agents it was what you got delivered with your address scribbled on the front it was so Absolutely. it was so generic you didn't worry about things like the, the news agent writing 17 overdale i've long since moved away from there just to point <laughs> out <laughs> on, on the fronts of my copies and you know it was just there it was this thing that existed so you, to a degree you took it for granted i suppose because it was also paid or so you, 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 again, yeah. which is why it's great. You didn't take it for what it was, which was a comic at that point. You know, for good nil, at least really pushing its own boundaries mm-hmm. uh, and really trying something new. And you just saw it as oh, two thousand D's dossing about yeah. in the minute. And I think it bit, is just kind of like yeah. And it is just kind of like uh, another corporate comic or whatever. Like you said, yeah, yeah, just wherever you know you can get it, you're stumbling over it. You know, I mean, that's something yeah. that's since I've moved to England has definitely been that been sort of a trip for me is just seeing like 2000 ad in the judge dread magazine you know in like smith's or something yeah. just in in like in the drugstore in like the stationery shop or whatever yeah. just all over the place whereas yeah. in america like comic book shops don't have 2000 like i've been to comic book shops that don't have 2000 ad you know like it's not it's like, been a a massive problem for us because they, they did that thing where they, they used to wrap up is it four uh so yeah yeah a they, they, there, which- yeah basically to the states you'd get like a month of progs and the magazine in in one bundle basically yeah 
which kind of for me kind of defeat not defeats the object because you, you get it how you get it you, you can only engage with it as you want but the whole thing about the prog is you get this weekly little burst of high intensity mm-hmm. stuff that rolls through and you're not having to wait and you're not reading them although again contradicting what i said earlier about that that's how i was engaging with the, the comic at this point for yeah. various reasons of the changes in life but um and so i suppose digital shifted all that though and now as well so so at least people anywhere can pick it up on a weekly basis and and get that sort of weekly little dose yeah I mean, which i think really enhances it as an experience <clears throat> yeah definitely and like i think i mean just the it makes it tough just because of the shipping costs and stuff you know i've been digital for yeah. a long time just because you know, the digital subscription is like half the price of getting it delivered to, to you in america yeah. Or yeah. Like that it's a it's a challenge for sure but I think it's all, it's just, there's just these perspectives as time goes by for this stuff. And just again, I yeah. feel like the, the, the hidden undercurrent of all space bitter 2000 of just the, uh, the differences between England and America and stuff like that. Like it's that. what makes it such a wonderful listen. It's so engaging to hear those different, because it's always great to get something, get a fresh perspective on something that's been so ingrained in you for, for mm-hmm. your life. And as you say, sort of, yeah, it was so pervasive in the country. It, it's always, it, that's why I think your podcast is, 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 is and dare I say, as popular and as, as well loved as it is, is, is that fresh perspective and hearing you and Fox talking about things that, you know, I, I'll always remember that you, the conversation you had about, for example, Summer Magic, where you mm. completely span on the thing that I just read and took for granted. And there's, there's probably a couple of examples in this of where by the similar sort of things that we assume or, or, or we take for granted from one perspective, but from a different perspective, you kind of go, that's weird. What's yeah, that mean? I mean, What's that about? A lot of times it's just like, even just pop culture things or something like that. Yeah, I know that's true. Yeah. There's so many times that like, you know, even for, yeah, where someone will like, I'll think something's just kind of weird, but it turns out to be like a reference to a news story or a character, a celebrity that everybody in England yeah. knows or something like that. It's like, well, I just, I had no, I had no entree to knowing this. You know, there was no way I could like that 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 you could get it because it's just one of the and, and I'm an and American. I've listened to like the Fantastic Cast, for instance, is, is two English people talking about Fantastic yeah. Four and having similar questions of like, yeah. what what is this? And the and the answer is just like, oh no, th- that's just America stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah. I can't explain it to you. I can't explain it to you beat by beat because it's just sort of stuff that you have from living in a, in that society, you know. And, and even from the angle of where we think in this country, I'm, I'm, I'm drifting a bit, but where we think yeah. American culture is so invasive, not invasive, but pervasive, and and, and, and infiltrates uh, British mm-hmm. culture so much as, as as America being the dominant force, really, in 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 um, in, in, in the English language culture, that mm-hmm. we think we've got a grip on it. And then you still look through old comics and you see adverts and you go, what the bloody hell could that possibly be? Or what could that <laughs> reference? Or, you know, I think we'd vaguely heard of David Letterman when David Letterman was appearing in the Avengers, for example. And that was kind of, what? what what's this? That's really, really weird. Um, but of course, you, it's David Letterman, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for so much of, of like every once in a while, I just get one of these things and I feel like, yeah, I don't know if when you've ever like like a moved house and you feel like you've got everything all packed and you're ready to go and then you like open a drawer or or a closet door and you see oh my god there's so much still left to do oh good oh my gosh you know that's what i feel like with english stuff you know where suddenly and i feel like it's but it's specifically in 2000 ad or whatever but you know for I, and I'm sure it's like this with America stuff too. Yeah, where it's like, oh yeah, listen, like you know, 
<laughs> this is a series of references that's about characters on Coronation Street, you know, yeah. or you're just gonna you're just gonna have to live in England for 20 years with the carry-on films on constant yeah. repeat on on the weekends <laughs> to get this joke, you know, and I'm like I, I can't do I can't do that. I can't watch 40 years of a soap or, you know, these weird softcore comedy movies. I just, I just don't want yeah. to. You know? I think once you've seen two carry-on films, you're pretty much done. You're all right. <laughs> I, I've definitely found that if you talk to an English person, you can, like, everybody's got their two favorite carry-on films, and they are, and there's not a lot of overlap, actually. There's apparently a lot you can tell about somebody from it. <laughs> But I haven't. I haven't I'm not mentioned just in case one. it exposes. Anna. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what I'd say. Oh, man. Yeah. But so I'm interested. Yeah. So I'm interested just in this. So, so, so to go back to something else you said, I think what's really what we're getting into in this era of like space spinner, I guess, is this less seen period of, of, of the comics, you know, sort of. I think it was Alex. Um, Alex from the Heroes of 2000 AD, yeah. of the, the Heroes of 2000 AD blog, who kind of mentioned that like space spinners in this entering this weird period where, which is after most people stopped reading the comic, <laughs> but be so that there's a shared memory about it, but before like the early days of like comics blogging and things where there's mm. sort of this remembered memory of it you know this big undiscovered late 90s country you know it's like stuff happened it could be anything but that's really interesting because when then when you discuss anything from this period you have you have this much richer sort of vein of of different opinion because people have come at it from different views and therefore you know you've not all had that that commonality of experience because you've all you know, some people have read through, some people have picked it up, you know, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line. Some people won't have even read it. And so when you're doing some of this, we'll have read it for the first time. And and so I think that gives for a much richer sense of perspectives on, on the mm-hmm. material that you're looking at. And it, it's all for the good. Um, and, 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 and so it, yeah, it just adds to a much more interesting discussion about, unfortunately, material that in some cases doesn't always justify that much <laughs> reflection and, uh, and, and inspection and, and, and interest, but it, it makes it a lot more, yeah, it's a lot, we've moved away from, uh, yeah, going back to what we referenced when we, we first did one of these, mm-hmm. um, the idea of, of a five to seven year old boy saying, oh, cowboys and dinosaurs, that's cool, I want to look at that, and something that we could all share. And we've come into right. a lot richer in terms of how we've engaged with it and, and therefore the things and the views we have of what it's doing. Yeah. Now we've moved on to an 18-year-old saying, whoa, a weird <laughs> five-headed goblin monster. Yeah. I'll get that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and speaking of, of maybe we can move to the towards the yearbook, I guess. Nice segue. Oh, listen, doing my best. Professional. Yeah. All right, so let's let's get started. Yeah. Oh man, the yearbook. We we we've both got physical copies. Very excellent. Got mine at a at a at a comics mart in London. Very very nice. Just, you know, those like you know, very disrespectful at the comic mart. Just here's a big pile of 2000 ADs and then carefully indexed Marvel comics, etc. Okay, but back to the idea of, of, of how all pervasive 2000 is in this country is, is you do find the comic marks. It's like, there's all this stuff, all this exciting stuff with like price labels and tags on and oh, there's a box of 2000 ADs. We'll, we'll, we'll price them as one job lot and just whatever. They're they, all bit, yeah. quid 50. Pick them up. We don't care about them. I mean, I, I was at a comic shop and actually, and literally bought the, uh, but it was the first six uh, magazines in a thing that w- I got the first six because it was literally like 
like one for a pound or six for five, you know? Yeah. I was like, well, okay. Like, oh, like I'll take America in its original form, I guess. Like this seems you've, fine. You've just got to be careful. As, if you choose to go back, all of a sudden you've got this crate full of, of gubbins. <laughs> I'm, uh, listen, I'm very aware of what, what my apartment can hold. I'm uh, sort of operating in. <laughs> In houseboat situations, you know, nothing, nothing comes on if something else doesn't come off because we got to yeah. maintain the weight, you know. Okay, so but this yearbook, we got a gatefold double co- co- cover, which we've had for all these yearbooks, and this one's frankly terrifying as we see yeah. Dread, Mean Machine, Hershey, Armitage, and Devlin Waugh, who have all been merged into this like five-headed monster and like each one like they're just the heads all next to each other and they're like sharing an eye like they're molding into each other and stuff and and worse yet it it, it doesn't even take full advantage of the the double gate spread so it's it's repeated front and back so you've got that sense of of, have you had you know all the other ones got like a a lovely yeah yeah they have like a a giant yeah four page one this one's just yeah repeated come on this just looks like the sort of thing you'd see, like the airbrush thing you see on the side of a, a, a rock van or, you know, in a fairground ride where you'd have that sort of, that pastiche of fl- of, of grease or something badly spray painted mm-hmm. in the background. This is a badly spray painted, don't get me wrong, but it, it's just, it's quite unpleasant if I'm honest. I don't, I don't like it. It's really <laughs> like, like, what would this creature sound like? Like, how much <laughs> is it in pain? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Although I do like just some of the morphing looks for it. Like, I, I really like how, how Dred's helmet become like the visor of dread's helmet becomes the nose piece of wings um uh skull cybernetics and stuff like that and credit to them for working out how to merge all the uh the hairlines because that must have been a bitch to work out a real challenge it's like the way hershey's Hershey's hair kind of turns into armitage's worry lines on his forehead yeah there's there's craft in that there's no denying it but it's um, yeah the it's covers, not something I want to look at for any period of time. It's, it's just it, it raises weird questions in, in the it mind, really honestly. Does. Especially like uh like or no, I guess sorry. I was gonna say what shirt they're wearing, but only Dred's wearing a shirt because Armin because uh Devlin Waugh is of course bare chest. The, the dark as color. You do. Yeah. 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 Um it, yeah, it, this, I'm sure it was killed shortly after this was was the painting was made. God, I'm sure oh, someone oh. did a mercy killing of it, and, and <laughs> it was sent to the glue factory. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the the covers by Mark Wilkinson, who did a similar one in the magazine recently, sort of merging dreads and yeah. and mechanismos heads. But he should feel you know, but he should feel bad about this. I'm not into it. Um, <laughs> the the inside covers a table of contents. We see that uh, Dave Bishop is editing. And there's like a sec, and, and like there's a marker that just says like respect to Steve McManus, John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Carlos Escara, which is nice. Yes, yeah. And that takes us to story one, Nightmare Man. An interesting story. Well, hey, is it? <laughs> fine. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Dean Ornstrom, letting robot Tom Frame. I think it takes advantage of uh, of Dean Ornstrom's uh, artistic ability. I think yeah. of just. I, I think. One Weird of the notes I've made is, is yeah, exactly what he does well, and it, it's on the second or third page. Those sort of red glowing eyes and the screaming skulls. That's, I mean, I love Dean Ormston's work, and mm-hmm. I love the stuff he's doing now on Black Hammer. Well, he, he was doing on Black Hammer and, and, and whatnot. He's a fantastic artist, and this this does play to that strength. It really does, um, and it, it does does do an awful lot of those um, ninety degree facing to the side dreadheads that he seems to always fall back to. <laughs> But um, I've also got a little sketch by him of just that actually oh, nice. somewhere yeah. in my nerd cave. But you know, Dred's got such a strong profile that it's, it's yeah. a really top way to draw him. I think front-facing Dread um, pictures, you sort of 
that's when you kind of see some of the impracticalities of the helmet, I think, honestly. It's yeah. a challenge there. Yeah. In a dreamscape of gargoyles and sinister monks, a man in pajamas walks the streets knowing he's having a nightmare. But things get a bit too scary, and he starts to run, but is then cornered by these robed men and knives. And Dr. Chick Purdy tries to will himself awake, but it's no good. He's stabbed by the robed figures with skull heads and wakes up clutching his heart, having a massive heart, att- a massive heart attack. What a way to go. Oh, no. Really, he's one of these. So I think recently of someone trying to find the genesis of the term, um, if you die in the blank, you die in real life. Like trying to find the first time that had, had been said. <laughs> right. And do you have any luck? No, it's, it's, too, it's too ephemeral, I feel like. It's like. Maybe something in like the 70s that was about like if you die without or like the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which was if you die in a dream, you die. Or oh, it's been life. all pervasive and it's from shamanic times when <laughs> you have these really gnarly shaman yeah. going, you're going to dream this stuff, then you're going to die. If you die, if you die in the sweat lodge, you die in real life. Yeah. Sort of thing. Um, so later the judges are investigating the death and Dredd and Karen are on the scene. Karen, I feel like is a big Dean Ornstrom character, actually. I, I, feel, yeah. I feel like he likes drawing her hair, which is real big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, it's very far force it. <laughs> absolutely. It seems that he's another mega chem scientist that has died in the same way. A spontaneously exploding heart caused by dreams. Uh, Karen uh, scans Purdy and finds traces of the nightmare in his mind, but nothing else unusual. So she recommends blood analysis and dreadheads to Mega Chem to do some interrogating. It's home of the world's favorite chemicals. There's a misplaced apostrophe over chemicals. So yes, <laughs> what the chemicals possess, I don't know. Um, there the boss says it's the fourth top scientist dead. They're working on a new soy malt bedtime drink that'll be worth billions, and that could be a moment. Dread starts questioning scientists, just very good dread questioning of just pulling out the lie detector, being like, hey, you, did you kill him? No. Bing! All right, you're, you're free to go. You know. Um, Karen calls in and says Purdy died with high levels of acetyl chlorine. Acetyl chlorine. I tried to look it up, but it's apparently misspelled in the magazine. Acetyl, whatever. It's a, it's a. Let's just call it dream chemical. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's whatever. It's a, uh, it's a nervous system cat thing. It makes us dream. Come on, move on. Um, He had also, and uh, this guy had been, and Purdy had been dosed by a massive amount of it. Um, All the chemists passed Dredd's lie detector test, but listen, they can be using chemicals to beat that. We don't know it's possible. Suddenly, as Dredd's looking, um, a a man like uh, gets his attention and says he's found something. He leads Dredd to a massive series of pipes and then presses a button and drops a bunch of red goo on Dredd. Oh, no, he's been gooed. Dread's pissed. He has this really action pose. He's getting gooed as well. He's, mm. he's got this kind of really kind of, I'm being gooed. And he's sort of clenching his fists and grimacing towards the reader, which is just, he's just kind of, oh, get off. It's annoying. Yeah. Some nice well, sound effects. Well, I've noticed how Dean Ornstrom paints in his sound effects as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on that, that particular page where he's getting gooed, you've got a click, a splurge, and even as we'll get to, a yawn as well, sort of painted into the, um, into the artwork. That's right. Because instead of fighting back, Dread in, <clears throat> instead has become uh, sleepy and yawns and then falls down dead asleep on the ground. The 
doc, the uh, the scientist explains as you do, I guess, um, that he's had a massive dose of tranquilizers and that dream co- chemical. Oh no! In his dream, at, uh, Dread sees the Mayflower landing on Plymouth Rock. And a bunch of judges on Lawmaster rolling out, slaughtering the Native Americans waiting there. They're conveniently in front of a big sign that says "Welcome to America" as they're being slaughtered. This is, as 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 Fox would say, uh, the subtext. It is text. <laughs> yes. <you know? laughs> um, and as they do this, as they commit these atrocities and say "We are the law" and stuff like that. Uh, like dread raises the le- the the flag of the judges as the other judges sort of turn into monsters and specifically one turns into Judge Death, of course. Oh, that oh, is at the end of thing of, of conquering with flags. So they, they plant the flag with Eddie, stars Eddie, now. Eddie, Eddie Izzard, yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you have a flag? Yeah. Oh, sorry, no flag, no country. Uh, in reality, this chemist Jung, which you know, I'm I'm pronouncing the same way as a, as a J U N. UNG, the uh, the the psychiatrist with a dream analysis guy, he tries ah. to leave, but finds um, or he is stealing blah, blah blah. Yeah, he's like stealing the soy malt formula, and another scientist tries to stop him, and Jung like clubs him with a briefcase and and heads out. He tries to leave the chemical plant, but finds a judge waiting for him outside of it. And in his dream, Dredd is tied to a stake as death and other monster judges taunt him with his own catchphrases. Oh, the, the greatest insults. Dredd tries, does the same thing that the previous guy did of trying to wake himself up as his chin is pierced by Dredd, by death's claws. We learned like, oh, no, there was all that sedative inside the, yeah. the soy malt. So you won't be able to wake up, it seems. As he does this, death's face changes to that of Jung and he rips out Dredd's heart. Which becomes an important thing for, for, for the, again, the subtaxes text. Right. In the, uh, <clears throat> Meanwhile, in reality, Jung talks his way past um, the, the guard judge briefly and decides to escape through the mixing pipes of the plant. Dread comes to, seemingly, and chases Jung just in time to see him escape into that mixer pipe. He fires a ricochet bullet, which turns on the grinders inside the pipes, and that's all she wrote. <laughs> Dread wraps up with Judge Karen. Uh, Jung was going to sell the formula to a rival company, but he didn't count on the law-filled hearts of judges. Or as Karen says, at their heart, all judges are bastards. And, and which, which kind of, that, again, it's back to that thing of the, the heart of a judge, which is sort of playing to that last line. But it's also, uh, I think it's much more about the fact that during the sort of the heart of the judge is about that. Whereas the the professor from earlier on, whose name is utterly escaped me, who died, managed yeah. to wake up and, and had Pretty, the heart attack. Yeah. yeah, the heart of the judge is that he's, he's also indomitable. He, he has that ability to to get past the dream goo um, and fight through. So you've got the, that, that duality of the heart, the, the meaning of, of the, the heart that that he failed to rip it out because Dread was able because there's this repeated you know, mm-hmm. wake up, wake up, wake up, and Dread is you know his heart is so strong, his his his, his love for justice so so deep that he can. He can wake from the stupor. Um, Absolutely. But then it's also the cheap fact that, yeah, all judges at the hearth are also bastards, which <laughs> is, is hard to deny. It's, it's a fun little... Te- the art is a star here, I would say, even though it has mm. a few problems with the sort of some of the, the storytelling bits. And he, he, he likes his deep, dark shadows. There's no denying. Uh, I'm a massive fan of, of Dean Ormston. And you've got like that picture of the Mayflower, which is just... It, it, it's, a, it's a great 
it, it mm. feels very in contrast with everything else in there. But it's a, it's a lovely piece of work, and it, it's um, it's well executed. But for me, the art is the real. So the story's fine. It's absolutely fine. But it's nothing more than fine. Um, but it, the, the art is absolutely lovely. Absolutely, yeah. There's some really great, and there's some great Mega City One cityscapes in here as yeah. well. These big bulbous buildings, and you know, bright reds, or a, or a burnt umber skies and stuff like that. that really, and, sort of and, 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 and he makes the buildings so curved; they almost look organic, like they've got mm. legs or arms. And there's, there's one on the last face; it almost looks like it's, it's on the last page. They almost look like it's, it's a number of slightly bizarre, almost alien heads mm -hmm. uh, at the top, and then there's almost Absolutely. a. a an arm at the a face at the bottom. It, it, it's it's got a very unique take, I think, on Mega City One, which I really like. Definitely, yeah. No, exciting, good, good annual starter here. Dread story establishes some themes that I think we'll see actually throughout the uh, throughout the annual here. And speaking of annuals through the past, we can quickly go to Thrill Two Annuals Flashback. This is written by uh, David Bishop. Filler section, of course. It. One page recounting the creation of the first Dread Annual, which we've been over, and then just in index pages of the stories and features that have appeared in the Dread Annuals over the years. The, the very definition of filler. I mean, I used to love yeah. these index things, as I've said before, same because they've got like, they were your route to knowing stuff, but here it's so niche. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, we've... I mean, it's very much that they've they've done these of more mainstream or like widely of, or like of the progs of different thrills yeah. and stuff in previous annuals, you know, and now we're going to get towards the end of the annuals. So now even the annuals have <laughs> filler coverage and yeah. stuff like that. Um, it ends with a uh, top 12 list of, of uh, fun facts about the annuals. Cool. Which also the 12 things you never knew about the Judge Dread annuals, half of which you knew if you'd read the Judge Dread annuals. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> because a lot of them are like, oh, yes, Carl Carlos Escara has done quite a lot of these. Like, oh, okay, yeah. yes, I, I, I'm aware of this, you know, or um, this, this story appeared in this annual. It was really good. It's like, well, yeah, I've read, I've read it. I'm, <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Love right. It. Or like that, uh, that uh, Neil Gaiman wrote a, uh, a Hershey story once, yeah. for instance, which seems extremely 1993. Of like, yeah, we. We've had big names in here. Come on. Yeah. We've just been talking about Dream. Come on. Come on. You see right. what we're doing. You see what we're doing. You know. And then also, of and then uh, uh, in the same in, in the same section, a uh, also a plug for the forthcoming Dread novels that are about to be released uh, as well. Yeah. You got to gotta make this money where you can, basically. Yeah. And hey, speaking of, uh, of, of uh, big names appearing in the annual, we can go to Thrill 3, Spock's Mock Jocks. Script robot Alan Grant, Art Robots, Brendan McCarthy, Jamie Hewlett, and Steve Whitaker, Letting Robot Tom Frame. This one originally appeared in Prog 614. There's a slight irony with them reprinting things, having just talked about all this content from annuals, not from the mm. annuals. I thought that was quite an interesting choice. I mean, in the end, you've got to kind of, you got to <laughs> fit, in what you, fit in where you can, I guess. Yeah. I and think, Jamie Hewlett was very in vogue at this point, wasn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> I think at this point, what the. Yeah, we're maybe two years away from the from, from the Tank Girl movie, I think, which is going to be part of a yeah. a series, of, you know, along with Judge Dredd, I guess, of this sort of the start of comic books and movies, and sort of starting with some more English folks before yeah. the, the Americans really get on board with it, you know. And another movie that we don't often want to talk about. I watched that not that long ago, uh, Ken. And it, it's the Tank Girl movie. It's not great. <clears throat> I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I feel like I have fond memories, but they might just be memories because I watched it when I was 14 and I've, yeah. I've got some. <laughs> leave, leave it there. Don't, don't invade that path. 
I'll, yeah, it's definitely not one I'm like, I, I'm going out of my way to be like, oh, yeah, like, I'll check that out. I'm willing yeah. to I'm willing to let it stay in the past. <laughs> um, but we do have a dream team here with with Brendan McCarthy and, and, and Jamie Hewlett on, on art for this Dread story. Um, also, Steve Whitaker is um, listed as an artist and he's the colorist. He also colored the um, re, the uh, reprints of V for Vendetta. That's sort of his big claim for fame is that he, he colorized that. Spock's Mock Chalk at the Mock Chalk Research Lab. A lab rat named Henry goes berserk after eating a new formula of chunky all synthetic chalk bars. The rodent gets thwapped by factory owner John Spock. And he tells the research assistants not to tell anybody about this as the new bars are about to go to market. And hey, even if it is a problem, it only affects one rat out of any 10,000. How bad could it be? One we're about to find out. It's one of these. Well, how many people live in Nega City one again? Yeah. You know? um, one month later, a citizen's going berserk outside of a mock chalk store and Dred's on the scene. A oh, man, he's gone bite mad, by God. So Dred cracks him on the teeth and then the man just falls down dead. Dred calls it in and it seems the city's been gripped by 117 unprovoked bite attacks. Oh, that's much higher than normal. And every biter that does so is dead within minutes. Dred runs in his corpse to where a mass dissection is being held. And we get some of these crazy Brendan McCarthy tech judges. Yeah, he likes, I, I was like, going to mention them with the, the all the knives and the instruments coming out of the of, of the helmet itself. It's just absolutely lovely. Brendan McCarthy's a, I feel like is a big believer in specialist judges having specialist outfits yeah. and just yeah. judges in general not all looking the same from judge to judge. Like a lot of times, I feel I, I've seen him draw them where <clears throat> um, him and uh, and um, and 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 Brett Ewins do this too, where you'll have like five judges together and they might all have different helmet shapes or something yeah. like that, or stars on their uniforms or just where their eagles are might be different. I, I was going to say different combinations of shoulder pads yeah. and knee pads and all sorts of gubbins. And <clears throat> especially with these tech judges, we've seen these guys before where they'll, you'll have a tech judge where like he's got all these knives and tools that are like stuck into his helmet. And presumably he's like pulling them off his helmet and then letting them go. And they're like z- zipping back up on elastic or something like that. Well, well it, or it implies that maybe they're automated as well. Cause you've got this panel mm-hmm. at the bottom of page, whatever it is where the, the, the judge is doing yeah. the biopsy. Right, it's these, like these the, robot the arms sort of, coming out. Yeah, robot yeah. arms coming out and, and they're, they're controlled remotely or something. <clears throat> I love it. Just where the, you know, it's, a, it's the same thing that, it's, you know, clearly like where he was going with the Judda as, as well yeah. for McCarthy, right? Of just these having some variety within the judges, which I think is something that, you know, I, I feel like we've gone in a different direction, I guess, for, for judge stuff now. We yeah. have just have a lot of real uniform guys. I guess it makes sense. To look, whatever. Yeah. Um, anyhow, all of these folks were poisoned by something that induced rage and then killed them. And they all have partially digested Spock's mock chalk bars in their stomachs. So I think we've got an idea here. <laughs> Dread rolls in and talks to Spock, who admits that one in every 10,000 people has a allergic reaction to the mock chalk bar. They didn't find it until they were already for sale. And that's how it goes. You know, as, a, as someone who's involved in software development, the difficulties of day zero patches and things like that are always a challenge. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Dredd says that for this lack of quality assurance, Spock will do life for 150 counts of murder. But Spock doesn't care because he's dying of cancer. Like right now, he's about to die, I guess. So screw you, buddy, as I, you know, imp- enter death suite embrace. 
But Dread won't be cheated out of that sentence. Mm -mm. (laughs) So instead, he runs Jock over to the vaults where he's put a suspended animation until a cure for cancer can be found. And then when he's better, he'll do life. He'll live the rest of his natural life in the cubes. Case closed. It was almost that bit at the end where they were sort of saying they, they pulled back the vaults. It's almost as if they, oh, we, we've got a few panels spare. What should we do with this? It was hauling back a, a, a well-used uh, trope from the past. But and again for this one, I think I think overall the, again the art is the star. I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious as to how the the art was divvied out, so to speak. Whether it was, um, I, I think it was McCarthy and King Kewler, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't I can't tell. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Quite- I don't. I, I don't have as much experience with with Hewlett as I as I'd like, but there are def. You know, you can definitely see some looks in here. I think just a lot like like you know everybody's wild haircuts. You know, just to yeah. go back to Hugo again and stuff. But then just a lot, of, and then just like the way people like like faces, like the like all these like big sinister grins or demented grins. And, everybody's got, and, and so. wide wide pulsing eyes as well, right. which is, I think it's it's very much one of his. <clears throat> Yeah, that's definitely one of one of his tropes as well. And like, there's also, like I said, like some of these judges and stuff have have more of a McCarthy feel, I guess, as well. Yeah, so it feels yeah. like there's a mix in there. I just really, I want to just mention that I love, we, this is not the first time we've seen this vault thing where apparently there's like a fair number of perps in Mega City 1 that are currently on ice until various ailments and diseases can be cured and then they can go to jail. All about 90% of those ailments are being shot by dread. (laughs) Moderate amount. Yeah. (laughs) But like, like I know there's one guy who's in there, who's like serving like a a suspended animation sentence. And then he's going to get out of jail and use a time machine to come back and try to kill dread. But (laughs) then dread shot him in the face and so now there's like the same guy on two different timelines is <laughs> filed away next to himself, you know? Uh, that's just not trying to work it out. <laughs> it's just it's a it's a symptom of, of of my of one of my favorite things about Dread, which is just that it's this omni sci-fi setup. You know, any <laughs> any sci-fi trope is alive and well and happening <laughs> in Judge Dredd, and so they've just got to deal with it, you know. <laughs> but yeah, a, a, a fun, fun, great story. Elevated by just yeah, absolutely fantastic art. No, there's definitely some amazing art in in this annual for sure. Mm. I think we can sort of continue our streak here, actually, absolutely. by going to Thrill Four Mean Machine Judgment on Gosham. <laughs> Skipper by John but- Wagner, Art Robot Mick McMahon, Learning Robot Gordon Robson. Sorry, good. And I think we're very much back to the fact that people have different views and different perspectives on on um, on this particular frail and, and specifically the art because it's mm-hmm. i think it's it, it's mick mcmahon and his most um idiosyncratic and an experimental i mean i think it's oh it just looks yeah definitely lovely. yeah i mean we 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 haven't seen him i think since um that brief appearance in in in, in prog 500 as part of tharks had revisited and it's cool to see him back here all these years later um and he'll actually be in the magazine for a brief series in 94 as well is that howler I'm pretty excited about yeah yeah. Um, I'm excited about that one to see what's going on. But it seems like in the last seven years, you can definitely see how his style has evolved and changed. Yeah. Um, he works in this, yeah, just this harsh black and white style. There's these really strong, like straight lines. And like, I feel like at first when I look at it, it doesn't seem detailed. But then when I look further at it, there's yeah. a ton of detail in there. But it's just a very like, like sparse, flat look to it. That, that's very distinctive. 
And it's also it, the detail to a degree is, is lost in the energy dump from the shapes and the forms that he uses mm-hmm. to create the page. So the energy, the, sorry, the detail almost becomes secondary. It, it's not about the detail. It's about the the shape and the form and the way that 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 shows movement and mood and 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 and, and you know character. It, it's just. It, it elevates it. I think is it the monarch who loves who's been on the show a few times who loves uh, yeah. Sonic the comic, and I'm not sure if he was doing Sonic the comic during this period, and, and and again having that sort of that need to take something as as almost simplified as a as an animated computer mm-hmm. character, and so therefore you have to make shape and form um, mm. a little bit more dynamic to to push movements across. Yeah, yeah. I I I kind of want to say that it's like a cubist look but i don't think it's actually as abstract as that but yeah. i guess just there's just a lot of shapes i think you're right yeah. that like like there's you can like yeah just that a lot sort of basic shapes coming together to make something that i think is really interesting anyway we where a frontier outpost is a lookout spots a writer to the east and he's using two cans as binoculars, and they use a tin can and string communication system to talk to their boss, Diamond Jim, who looks like he's made of diamonds. It seems there's a judge on the way, and they prepare to show this dude what happens when a judge comes to the town of Gosham. But it don't look like any judge they've ever seen, because it's Judge Mean Machine Angel! And he senses everybody to death, of course. <laughs> and he just looks so amazing in his uniform. Yeah. Oh my god, this is great! <laughs> it is absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And, and again, made all the more so because of the the, the extreme, I say, you know, vaguely cubist way that, that um, mm-hmm. McMahon draws him as well. Just makes it look. It just it pops off the page. It's so dramatic. It's really interesting, I think, to compare this full page of Mean to um, what was it to that to the Dread cover that he just did. Um, a couple months ago, I want to say, yeah, in, in our with timeline, the the, the uh, electricity coming off the the, the yeah, the, the little day stick. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, from um from Prague twenty two fifty. Yeah, which also had this very angular like side on profile of dread coming in. You can definitely like the the twenty year or no god thirty year evolution from yeah. one to another <laughs> is really Don't do interesting. That. <laughs> Listen, we all gotta, we all gotta, gotta, gotta confront it. You know, this is how it goes. <laughs> anyway, I sense everybody to death, looking glorious. We flash back to a couple hours ago to the Psy 35 building where Judge Pons is offering Mean a chance at rehabilitation by becoming a judge. Mean agrees and soon he's suited up and headed to the cursed earth because it seems an East Meg 2 ambassador and his family are being held out here by no good mutants at the town of Gosham. Means to find the ambassador and report in, and they say, "Hey, kill everybody while you're there if you feel like it." I guess. And we're introduced here to someone called Judge Giggs, who is in 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 one very specific way the anti-dread. In that Judge Giggs has absolutely no chin whatsoever. <laughs> it's like, like some sort of chinless wonder. <clears throat> absolutely, yeah. Mean rides out, and judges Pons and Giggs reflect that Mean's on a suicide mission. He'll surely be killed. They just hope that he finds out where the ambassador is so the judges can snap him up before he is. In town, the villagers recognize Mean Machine instantly. I'm like, why are you wearing a what, Is this a joke? What's going on here? And they basically make fun of him for it, especially when he tries to shoot them with his lawgiver. He doesn't have any bullets. I'm like, come on, Mean. They taunt him, and in doing so, of course, let slip where the ambassador is held in the nearby clock tower, and the judges spring into action. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mean and Diamond Jim face off, 
And I want to say, we'll talk about him a little bit more later, but um, Diamond Jim has a henchman that's a robot that's just that's named Gatlin, and his head is a Gatlin gun, and it seems that all he can say is butta butta, and that's amazing. Uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. But Diamond Jim, he's made of diamonds, so he's got the hardest head in the known universe, and proves it by headbutt mean, and he has made a mistake. To be fair, though, he does floor mean. It's true. I mean, he's got he's got he's packing something. You know, yeah. but Mean isn't impressed, of course. He instantly goes up to four and box Jim with three Ks so you know it's serious. But it seems like it wasn't enough. Mean goes down and is disoriented. Jim's still standing and Mean seemingly met his match, but then like Kurosawa style, like a, a single crack appears in Diamond Jim's head which expands and widens, and suddenly he just dissolves down into dust. Oh, my God, this is great. With the tiniest of tinkle, 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 crash. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, sorry. He, he collapses like a chandelier that's fallen yeah. off the ceiling yeah. you know, like with, with those sound effects, basically. <laughs> I love that. I love anytime someone's been beaten and they have time to, like, say a sentence before they collapse into multiple pieces you know yeah. such a such, such an anime way to die you know and then there's that final panel of, of, of one of his goons just going diamond jim <laughs> just kind of, are you all right buddy <laughs> yeah this guy's literally shattered into shards and you go, Ooh, diamond jim. <laughs> you okay totally so it means the head of the gang now i guess but he's also confused wait a minute what when did this become a, on my priority list yeah. <laughs> But forget that, because the judge ship is flying in, grabbing the ambassador and family. The mutants see this as a double cross, and Gatlin opens fire, which is fair, I guess. But yeah. Mean fights back. He boxes Gatlin right in the chest, and then like stands up and has him on his shoulders, and does one of those like pro wrestling like airplane moves, like spinning him around. And as he does that, Gatlin's head still firing, so it kills all the goons. And this is just an amazing action sequence, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah the whole thing is just played for for such good fun just absolutely brilliant absolutely lovely stuff definitely the day is saved and the gang's taken out hey he did a good job maybe we should make gina make mean a judge nah they shoot him with a trank dart take him back to the mega city and just say oh we trust you to be a judge but you failed i guess <laughs> And the East Meg 2 ambassador says, we could use some brave men like him in East Meg 2, which I think might actually be a precursor for uh, Red Razors, where they start taking criminals and uh, mind-wiping yeah. them. Oh, yeah. And turning them into, into yeah. cops. Probably not actually, but like, <laughs> you know, if you want to make those links, you definitely could. You never know. May have laid seeds. If, if John Wagner's laying some seeds for Mark Miller here, you know, it could be or done. Or Mark Miller just read it and go, I can run with that. No, be cool because Red, Red Red Razors came first. So, oh, so we did. So apologies. Yeah, no. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. But let, yeah, listen. You can be forgiven for whatever the, this, this deep, deep magazine timeline. <laughs> yeah. Anybody's guess. And this takes us to Thrill Five: Mean, Surly, Vicious, Brutal. It's a psychological profile on Me Machine by Dave Bishop. More filler here, of course. The fillierist of filler. Just yeah, just more like, like, okay, here's just some text descriptions of previous Mean Machine stories. Fine. Um, I do. It's, it is interesting, though, just because they have a couple of uh, 
old Mick McMahon pieces, like you know that classic yeah. Dread cover with the meet with the with the Angel Gang, and then he did an Angel Gang portrait as well. So it it is kind of interesting just to see the two styles sort of next to each other. I guess. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's very true. <clears throat> and then you know, yeah, again, you know, mean Judge Child died. The Judge Child brought him back to life. And like I feel again, like no one's really talked about this, but I feel like at this point it means functionally immortal. There's space magic involved, and more of just this, you know, <laughs> Judge Dredd being all of the sci-fi tropes at once. It, it's just best not to think about. It. I think Mean is probably the most um, yeah. the the most sort of American superhero of 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 um, two thousand villains in that he's come back and he's done things in, in, in a way that will actually say gives him essential um, Joker-esque immortality. Yeah. Um, yeah. He can't really be taken out. He's in and out of prison constantly. There's just no point constantly. worrying about it. It's fine. Mm, like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's only, he's the only one that does it. So it's less, it's less of something to hang your hat yeah. on as a criticism yeah. versus Absolutely. entire superhero rogues galleries that yeah. do the same thing, you know? Also, this one ends with a, uh, with a very gross, detailed face of Bead Machine by, by Chris Halls, which I think is pretty good too. Um, Wasn't it Chris Halls who went on to design Me Machine for the '95 Dread film as well? I hmm. think Chris Halls did a lot of the, did a lot of the design work for the '95 mm-hmm. um, film and did a lot of painted work. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, I, I, I've seen him in my yeah, in that um, in in the, in the art book I got about it. You're right, but yeah, and I feel like that is one of the. I will say one of like the Angel Gang in the Dread movie is one of the highlights of that movie as well, especially it, yeah, in terms of, of yeah. closeness to the comics and stuff like yeah. that. You'll never. Yeah. I don't think you could do a version of the Angel Gang in a live action film that would be better than the one in the Stallone no. movie. You know, that's no, something you can hang its hat on. Certainly, absolutely true. Yeah. There's not much to say about it positively, but yeah, that is not a lot to hang your hat on. But you know, yeah. uh, to take what you can get—that's what I say. And <laughs> this take, and um, oh yeah, and also in the uh, a less faithful recreation in the in the Salone movie of another uh, long-term dread character, Thrill Six Judge Hershey. Come on, getting these got that, that on fire. <laughs> the, the the fantastic Diane Lane, who I can do nothing but admire. Absolutely, no solid Hershey. Absolutely, uh, script about Robbie Morrison, art about Paul Pert, lettering about Gordon Robson. Uh, this story is called Naked and Unashamed, and we've seen Pert do some Hershey in the magazine before this, and fresh off his run in Slaughter Bowl as well in the magazine. Um, I'm not a huge fan of his of, of his Hershey. I think just because. Oh, okay. I, I still like the mole, I guess, because it's not really heavily featured in a lot of other Hershey. Yeah, drawings. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sometimes she'll have one, sometimes she doesn't. But she's got a re- when he draws her, she's got a real big one. So I'm kind of like, I don't know. And she's got this uh, on the final panel. I mean, we're getting a bit ahead, but she's got the the blue eyeliner, which I think we saw in was it Glenn Fabry? Um, yeah, uh, poster, which it doesn't appear in most of it, but I for some so. reason, yeah. Yeah. And and Pert draws are like that a lot in in some in some pinups he's done too and I like yeah like I don't know I don't like the mole I don't really like Hershey wearing makeup at all honestly no, like you know makes no sense just because she's supposed to be this like yeah this tough character and like while I think I am okay, I am fine with Pert he draws Hershey as being kind of like like kind of muscular or like hench almost um, yeah. which I think which I'm fine with. But I don't know. I don't like the mole. I don't like the sort of, yeah. the, some of the makeup stuff. It's a little bit too, almost too like uh, Boris and Natasha for me. Or something. Um, anyway, nudism. All right. It's a better life. No secrets. Nobody's got pockets. There's letting it all hang out. 
Plus, you can do some fun art stuff where you hide your naughty bit bits, Austin Powers style. You know, isn't that, that specifically the jellies bit? Isn't that specifically something that the Austin Powers uses at one hundred percent? Yes, I thought yes. it was. Yeah, I have two ice cream sundays. Yes, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. <laughs> um. Anyway. I, I should say also, I was going to ask you about this just because you might be more, more plugged in than me. I really noticed there's a lot of really distinctive faces in this comic. If you notice any, like, if like these are supposed to be people or some, like, like famous people that you're familiar with. Or something Not like in that. this strip, but there's some later on. Which yeah, there definitely are in, 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 yeah. in Armitage in, for sure. Armitage, yeah. yeah, absolutely that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's no one I, I I'm sure people will come and correct this. There's yeah, people I mean, a lot more be... wild than me, but there's not no one I recognize. I did look at that actually. I was curious. Just because I, I always notice when I see like you know I don't know like there's a lot like there's some extra detail work on into this face, so it could be like you know some some bad guy on a TV show or something like that, or people he knows or something. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's definitely I always assume it's someone they know that they've thrown yeah. into it or something. <laughs> but we see two two criminal types who just go as like these small slimy dudes. And then one big buff lady with a nose ring and stuff like that. They're looking at videos of a Mega City One nudist colony and then press a button and drop two guys in an elevator into a pit um, that's full of blue. They, they Sweeney taught them, basically, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> because you would build your nudist colony on top of um, some organ recycling equipment. It's a bit weird. <clears throat> I, I feel like this is the plan. Like, it's sorry, maybe not Sweeney Todd, maybe an H.H. Holmes kind of situation. Yeah, Just well, they've, they've built a murder nudist colony because when they fall in here, they are right at the mouth of something called the Organatron, a machine <laughs> full of knives and stuff that expertly removes all of a human's useful organs for transplant and turns the bloody leftovers into months meat. So um, do you think, do you think the criminals built this under deliberately? Yes, absolutely. Cause they, ah, okay. So they jumping, say that. jumping ahead. No, well I'm putting it together, but jumping it okay, ahead, so. jumping ahead, Hershey gets details on the nudist colony and they say that it just got the license three months ago. So my theory is that they've built this brand new nudist colony from oh, yeah. the ground up yeah. as a source of organ parts. And it's just that we don't have a lot of time that we don't hear people talking about like, how, like they, they make a, a peeping Tom's joke and I wish they would have yeah. made like a, we've had a, 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 a slightly higher amount of missing persons reports yeah. from there or something like that too, you know? Yeah. Because my belief is that they've built this place to be full of, yeah, it's full of trap doors. With a specific stuff. purpose. Yeah, for the purpose of just slowly picking up these nudists and turning them into things. Because presumably you, they, they can check the people's health a lot easier because they don't aren't wearing clothes or anything. So they can see, oh, yeah, that, that guy's pretty healthy. So we can, you know, his heart's probably good or whatever. Else. You, you've got to question sort of the, the, the cost of building this compared to the reward of some organ lagging. But who am I to say what the economics of organ lagging are? I mean, I bet. <laughs> I bet that all this stuff's just prefab from some sort of criminal <laughs> warehouse, you know, like ready-made um, <laughs> organ-legging nudist colony thing. Yeah. You know, that's you go that, to Ikea. It's right, yeah, look, <laughs> do you remember, exactly. Like, do you remember there was that, there used to be that, that running dread store, dread gag of like, all of mega city's biggest criminals get together once a month to like make a scheme or something. Oh like, yeah. And this seems like like a sort of scheme they have where they sort of like, all right, like we made these, we'll make like 400 of them and just distribute franchises around the city or something like that, you know? You just push a button. You know, it's like when yeah, you yeah. 
It's 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 like when you get a franchise from a restaurant, they just give you all of the all the ingredients and all the stuff to hang on the walls and whatever else. You know, it's the McDonald's of organ legging. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. One man gets tossed into it. Uh, the other guy who looks very Stanley modest, like I will say, because yeah. I'm fresh off yeah. Slaughter Bowl. Um, he goes to escape, crawling through the air ducts to make his way to the Mega City One streets. He's out there all, all naked. And I really love that he's trying to like get help for his friends that are being dissected. But, but everybody's just sort of laughing like, yeah, man, go show those cheeks. <laughs> cheering him on. They think he's a streaker. <laughs> Um, but eventually he catches the eye of Judge Hershey. The jig is up. Um, he, uh, he, he gets the eye of Judge Hershey and she goes to investigate it. <laughs> the jig is up and the baddies realize this. So they start a purge. And here's where I know it's prefab just because suddenly all these trap all doors the, yeah. open up all over the place and people are just falling down in their hundreds into the tunnels. It, it, um, it, it does reek that everybody happens to be stood over a trapdoor, but if it's prefab, then you can probably go that one, that well, one. I mean, you've four, had seven, eight, and twelve. Yeah, well, 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 well and you've had criminal, um, like design psychologists determine where people are most likely to sit oh. and stand. You know, <laughs> it's like when you find out that, like, they they design again back to McDonald's that like they designed the chairs in McDonald's to only to be comfortable for sitting in for up to like 25 minutes. And after that, <laughs> they become very like, like you can sit there, they're fine. But at a certain point, you're like, oh, like this, this is very, becomes very uncomfortable city just to get, make you leave basically. <laughs> like it's I, good enough when you're first there, but then you got to go. And so similarly with, all right, we, 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 you know, did some modeling, we set up some heat zones and now we know where to put <laughs> these trap doors <laughs> to take the people out. <laughs> anyway. Good. Sounds good. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Having a lot of fun here, I guess. Oh, man. Long podcast. Um, but um, Hershey arrives at the front desk. She punches out a, a greeter that demands she only wear her underwear and some pasties, which I'm unhappy about, and arrives at the Organatron as dozens of people are being tossed into it. Hershey gets knocked over by the lady perp and loses her helmet and gun, but she's made of pretty stern stuff. And um, first takes out one perp by grabbing his cigar and tossing it down his G-string so it catches fire. And when the lady perp comes at Hershey again with a big knife, she like blocks it. And then they do that like fight for control of the knife kind of move and ends up stabbing the, the perp in the leg. And then, of course, tossing her into her own Organatron. <laughs> the day is saved, but that one nudist from before has been using Hershey's helmet to cover his shame. And so Hershey's got to order a new helmet from Control because that one used. Uh, again, just just great fun. I love the line, was it Naked Justice when she turns on the <laughs> Organitron? Um, it's just, it's a fun story. But I, I, what I really like about this is the way they, they explicitly make the fact that they aren't using it for Hershey to get um, mm -hmm. naked. They, they they very explicitly make it that that's not what I'm about. I'm a hard judge and I'm going to kick shit. Yeah, I'm not I about like titillation. I feel like a similar story with Anderson would ever going undercover as a nudist or something like that. Yeah. Sort of the variations yeah. between the two. But I, I, yeah, I do like they, they, they explicitly make it. No, this is not what this is about. This is about Hershey being kick-ass, not about her mm -hmm. being a, a female judge per se. But it's, it's a lovely little story. It's it's good fun. I, I personally, I do like the art. Um, I think it's absolutely fine. And and yeah, it's, 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 it's got some good naked people, cigars and, helmets gags in it so you can't you can't fault it really also a weird like this is a weird running theme with the first story of just people dying in murder tubes you know which i'm, yeah, I'm fine yeah. with as well T 
two two stories ended with the uh, with the main antagonist sort of reduced to goop. It's fine. Good times. <laughs> I there's, there's no murder tube in, in Armistice, is there? I, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> they missed a the bunch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen. There's a couple. Ways, you know, people died in certain ways, as we'll see. Mm. It thrill seven Armitage. Excellent transition. Good work. Um, <laughs> Appreciate other people carry the load as well. Good time. <laughs> Script robot David's Dave Stone, art robot Russell Fox, letting robot Gordon Robson. This is a <clears throat> excuse me. This is a massive story. Twenty-one pages. Oh my gosh! And in a rainy night in the new old ba- old Bailey, a vid message comes in, and we see a fat man with curly brows and mustache calling in. Says, "There's no time left." And then it seems that he's violently murdered right on camera. They got to solve this case. But it seems that Armitage has gone missing, so they send his partner Treasure Steel to go find him. And she quickly does. He's passed out in a pub table full of cigarette butts and half-finished uh, Guinnesses. Clearly very drunk, so Treasure pulls some kind of needle gun out of her coat and ejects it in his neck, sobering him up. And like you mentioned, actually, um, Fox is definitely having some fun with caricatures in here, like right behind um, um Armitage sobering up. You've got like Michael Jackson, Mike Tyson, Flavor Flav, and the back of the head of Bill from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And is it Swifty um, uh, with his, his hair? Yeah. Or, or oh, yeah, yeah. I think, as well? yeah, some Swifty dreadlocks back, <laughs> yeah. there, back there as well, I think. And in the above panel, like it's harder to see them, but I think I do see someone who's got a Bart Simpson haircut in the background. Yes. Well. Yeah. And it could be, it could, if I was stretching, you could go for Zenith just to their right. It's got like a bit of a Zenith fringe going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'd, I'd be, I'd be stretching at that point. Just because he doesn't have the mask that makes it a little, yeah, not quite him, I guess. But yeah, definitely, just some, you know, we got some folks in these backgrounds. <laughs> uh, the victim we learned was Barnabas Toddler, uh, a member of the landed gentry, and they got to go to his ancestral home, Toddler Grange. Which, I don't know. Whenever there's a rich guy named Barnabas, it makes me think of that show, uh, Dark Shadows, Barnabas Collins. But I don't think it's quite the same. Oh, that's English. Come on. I, I genuinely don't know it. I don't, oh, no. Hold on. No. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was like a spooky kids, like soap opera kind of thing. And they made a, uh, they made a version of it with, with vampires. And they made a version of it with, with Johnny Depp I, in like 2012, I think. I, I, it's not the one with, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, I'm going to drift now. Um, let's move on. The bloke from the fight the fucking Concords in the movie. Um, no, no, maybe that, not. that's no. that. That's what we do in the shadows. This was like in the that's it. Seven. That's all. Yeah. Okay. No, it's it's passed me by. Oh, passed, I'm enough. sorry. Passed me by. Hey, fine. <sighs> fine. Fine. With listen, we'll we'll be in the dark together. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Red Toddler Grange is this big, you know, spooky mansion, thunder and lightning, all that kind of stuff. Um, and there is a point here where Treasure Steel turns up. Everyone else has got like coats and stuff on, and Treasure Steel, but kind of almost reflecting back on the Hershey story. And she's still got like a bra top and a crop jacket. It's like give mm-hmm. her a coat. It's it was it's pissing down outside. Yeah, put a coat or at least an umbrella. Seriously, it's ridiculous. Like <laughs> she she just loses the coat halfway through as well. Yeah. What what's what what is this, guys? Come on, we're better than this, at least a little. We should be. <laughs> <laughs> they pass an officer on the way in who does the standard sort of haunted house speech. You know, he's got that <laughs> this phonetic um, e- English accent, you know. Oh, I couldn't say, sir. <laughs> they do say how there'll be a stranger goings on in that there house. 
Or, oh, I ain't going in there for love, no money. You're on your own there. That kind of stuff. Good try. Doing my best. Come on. Not bad. Not bad. I feel like I've managed to say mostly American. (laughs) So far, you know, these these accents get somehow more offensive because I've got more basis for them. (laughs) So they head in. Um, they first meet Sprout, the butler, and he shows them to a di- to the dining hall where the toddlers of Toddler Grange can be found. There's wife Honoria, children Darcy and Jaquinta, and old Uncle Smedley. Armitage says there's been a murder, but Honoria says her husband's very much alive, and she takes them to his study where he should be writing his memoirs, but instead it's just a bloody crime scene full of body parts and stuff like that. And there's some more cameos in this one because on the wall we've got the stuffed heads of is it the Wolfman, some reptile from a Hammer film whose name I can't remember, and ET of the stuffed right. trophies on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, Anoria cries, but then suddenly hears a ghostly voice calling out to her. She follows it out the door, but when she does, she just a giant gargoyle lands right on top of her and kills her. <laughs> um, and Armitage and and Steel. Covered in her blood, and Armitage just kind of looks down. He's like, oh, it's going to be one of those cases. That was pretty funny. Sorry. Shortly, Armitage has gathered everyone in the drawing room, as you do, and he runs down what's going on in the case. It seems the gargoyle was a rigged booby trap that would have hit anybody that was leading the study. So everybody here is either a potential victim or the potential killer. And then the lights go out. There's a lot of confused word bubbles and black paint in uh, six black panels. And you have to wonder, does the artist get a page rate for this page? Cause it's literally just black panels. with, with Very much. Which, you'd be like rubbing your hands, you're going fantastic. It's like 20 minutes work, same page rates. I mean, I don't think it's any work for the artist or just, you're just laying out the panels and then, and then, yeah. and then the letterer does the heavy lifting, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But then the lights come back on, and Uncle Smedley has been killed in a couple different ways. He's been stabbed by a knife, by a knitting needle. Um, there's an arrow in there, uh, like the, the, the spike part of a battle axe. He's been killed quite a bit. He's definitely dead. <clears throat> Running low on suspects, Armitage tells Darcy and Jaquinta to go to their rooms and lock the doors. Order Sprout to make him up a bed as well, which he'll be using while Treasure Steel stands guard. <laughs> oh, don't worry. You uh, he says if you think I'm going to let you sleep here, and he says, "Hey, you don't have to sleep here at all. Just just stay up, <laughs> watch my back." <laughs> In the but morning, fab, she does. I guess, yeah. I mean, she's used to Armitage being like you know, True. pretty yeah. mean to her here. And I mean, and the last time that this kind of situation happened, she got what like assaulted by the semi by the develop, developmentally delayed king of england and yeah all to do uh, whatever <laughs> um that was in the previous armitage story um so in the morning armitage goes to investigate finding darcy in a rooftop hothouse full of giant sentias venus fly traps and other man-eater plants and indeed one suddenly snakes around him and swallows him whole and then spits out and crunches him up and spits out his bones. Good, good sound effects here. Just the crunch, 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 crunch. Very suggestive of bone stuff there. Um, anyway, it stares down Armitage and about to eat him as well when suddenly it explodes and it's been shot very sexily by Jacinto, who's the last survivor here. 
Um, Armitage notices something amid. Oh, or sorry, no, jumped head blow up. Yeah, Steele sort of sees like um, we see that we're down to two suspects. When suddenly Armitage gets a call, Steele's in the kitchen, and there's something he should see. He heads down, taking Jaquinta's gun with him as he goes, and in the kitchen. Um, and we see, and this is where we notice that Steele's taken off her coat, so she's just in a bra for the rest yeah. of this story. Um, Sprout has been murdered and hung from chains in the kitchen. Steele goes to arrest Jaquinta, the last survivor, but Armitage notices something amiss. The butler was a cyborg. He's got hydraulic fluid, not blood. So why even try to kill him? What's the point? What's the meaning of this? And a voice comes. What's the point indeed? No point at all. A TV screen with the face of Barnabas Toddler appears. The bunch of menacing robot hands all around. Oh, no. He's dead, and Jaquinta's the last of his line. He explains that while he was writing his memoirs, and we see in his study a cameo of a mounted Goofy head in there. Yeah. Goofy from, from, like, the lawyers did not look over this one because they yeah. looking for trouble, honestly. <laughs> um, but he realized that his life was crappy and he didn't really achieve anything except creating some useless parasites in his family. So he decides that when he dies, they'll die with him. He turned his house into a death trap reprogrammed the butler to be a murder droid and tapped an and a taped an incriminating phone call of himself being murdered and let, let the butler go loose, you know, and kill him, basically. He admits that in retrospect, when this robot or when this computer simulation of him saw the real him die, the real him wasn't actually into being murdered at the end of it, which I think is a common problem, honestly. <laughs> you, you would imagine, yeah. <laughs> Jakinda does not look like she's taking this very well, but there's no time for that. Because the robot, um, because the robot arms be tr start to try to blast her. Luckily, Armitage has that gun from before, and instead shoots uh, Barnabas's TV screen, and they run. But the house is is still booby trapped, and it's a dangerous escape. Even the front door, which they jump out of, of course, not looking, is um a, is, is a bomb that explodes. And we're left. And there's a panel on that page where all of a sudden the artist turns into, and I can never pronounce his name, Bill Sinchevitz. There's, mm. there's the one where he, with Armitage is gritting his teeth under the, the big explosions. They jump out and saying, I won't put it past them, him at all. And all <laughs> of a sudden, it, it's very Bill Sinchevitz, the artwork. Yeah. But it's not throughout the rest of it, I should say. The giant woof there is excellent. Um, later at the smoking remains of Toddler Grange, um, we see Armitage talking to the coroner, Mary, and her goons that are cleaning up the scene. It's kind of like, oh, just put that in a bag. We'll figure it out later. Steele wonders what will happen to Jaquinta as the house was uninsured. She's clearly having a mental breakdown. But in the end, who cares, buddy? Let's go get a drink. The end. <laughs> so that's a full American comics worth of, of content, essentially. Absolutely, um, yeah. Just, yeah, it's chunky. I thought it was fun, though. Just a lot of, I mean, again, just sort of these plays on... Um, on mystery novels and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I think it's funny just that um, that Barnabas Grange has this big mustache, just kind of a, a Poirot kind of thing almost. And then, you know, it's very like, in theory, we should be investigating and finding out motives and stuff. But instead, just every scene, someone gets killed, gets killed yeah. until finally it's time to run and there's an explosion that renders the whole thing moot anyway. You know? yeah. Yeah. I think I love the way the, um, is it one of the medical people at the end who's, who's doing the, the, the pathology on the bloated fast has a t-shirt that says Mr. Meaty. Definitely. That's, yeah. That's, that's Mary who uh, appears in a bunch of Armitage um, oh, comics I, as well. 
And it's very much like, I feel like this is almost a trope in the 90s of having a medical examiner who is confronted by very gross things, but then is completely unfazed by them. Like, like a big thing with Mary is that she'll be like, El- like like elbows deep in an autopsy and she's got like a hamburger on the side that she's periodically <laughs> taking bites out of and stuff like that you know very fun very very casual with the blood very, very, yeah seen it all before exactly <laughs> and hey, speaking of a of a casualness with blood and gore i suppose we can continue on with thrill eight devil and war oh i should say also i want to mention that this Armitage, that that Armitage story, like the Judge Hershey story, is a story about someone who's converted a living space into sort of a death trap, like the nudist colony yes. was. Sort of these yep. layered themes of things. I'm just saying, drifting through. Very true. You know, gotta find it where you can. I think. And this, and so Devlin, but back to Devlin Waugh, text story, of course. John Smith, uh, script about John Smith, art about John Phillips. Um, it opens with the letters, I am Mr. Chigley, the stillborn son, the white in the eye. I walk the street and I am right there with you. You are mine. There is nothing you can do over the image of a screaming woman. Almost perfect John Smith prose there, isn't it? It's just, it, it's a very definition of, of John Smith's purple prose at times. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. This is what you're looking for when John Smith, yeah, you know, has, has the demon talk and gets sort yeah. of things get, get real stream of consciousness almost. Um, I like this story actually. It's sort yeah. of, I really enjoy it. it. Well, it's slow start. But when it gets going, it, it, it's almost like it has to sort of almost sort of lull you a bit, and then all of a sudden it explodes into this, even yeah, though it's I prose, mean, into this lovely, really fast-paced bit of action. I mean, I'll say then, again that that feel again that's sort of the John Smith technique, I guess. Like, I, I just I've he's done every tech story for the last three years or something like that, so I feel like I've got I've got a sense of what he goes for with these. Um, yeah, we start. It's like. Uh, I, I started writing a very long recap for this, and I don't know if we really need to go into all of it. But basically, the story is like it alternates viewpoints between a undercover Euro City judge who's part of a protection detail for Gene Fremont, who's this sort of washed-up uh, movie star lady. You know, had some big hits in the past, but hasn't really done anything in ten years, and but she's being threatened by this weird stalker mr chigley and they've had to like move around and it's a lot of just like i don't know the boredom of being on a protective detail i guess like (laughs) yeah it's it's a lot of like just very hard-boiled like you know where these cops we've just got to play 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 babysitter for this washed up old dame it's really hot in monaco that kind of stuff and is that just a character interchange isn't it for literally about two or three pages with, mm-hmm. i say into space with with yeah, um, and then and then the other Devlin. viewpoint is of course devlin waugh who's also in monaco and i feel like is in he's in one of his it in a black mood for devlin waugh i think yeah. you know he's very like oh i hadn't been to monaco in a long time he's gambling just to pass the time you know drinking copiously and then spots a young male model and sort of like becomes enchanted and sort of stalks him around the casino and stuff and then only once he gets there he realizes that his hunger is is of the is of the uh of the more of the more red kind and goes all vampire on him because you got to remember that aspect of that 
and I think that I think that all the way through this is is very much reminding what a dark character he is. Is, is this, that bit where he literally you know feeds on the the young mm. uh, male star, and, and and then well the ending as we get to it, and we'll see quite how how dark yeah. that is. <laughs> but so then with the uh, with the w- w- with the judges and the starlet, then things get very John Smith, I guess is what I want to say, yeah. with sort of thing like there's a very detailed image of like the of the air, of the uh, room being lit by candles. And then an eyeball appearing in the flames of the candles, looking around. And then the eyeball explodes, which puts out the candles and puts the whole room to darkness. And they're under attack by these like armored ape monsters. And some really great descriptions of just like it's dark, but it's lit in strobes by like the judges firing wild, wild, wildly and stuff. That's got a very cinematic feel to it. I'd, I'd yeah. love to see that brought like on screen, honestly, because I think that'd be really neat. It, it's funny because with the, the Sean Phillips artwork as well, even a description makes it quite clear. Not like this, I can't escape from the idea of them looking like um, the creatures from Attack of the Block. Um, mm-hmm. the Edgar Wright film and even though it quite explicitly explains that they're not like that because they've got these sort of angular heads and things yeah. like that there's the, the visuals and the, there's, there's some lovely um, painted pages by by Sean yeah, Phillips, Phillips yeah. um, I can't shake the idea that these are uh, uh, the creatures of Attack the Block so every time I'm yeah. not reading about what they specifically look like I'm, I revert <laughs> totally. back <clears throat> yeah Phillips draws them just as these big like just blacks like, like circles of darkness with just giant circular giant teeth mouths yeah. coming out of them it's pretty fun. Um, but so the judges are all killed by these monsters. And there's a pretty neat moment as we see Chingley himself, who's this strange skinny man in green and orange with a Venetian mask on his face. And another British reference. So I don't know if you know, Chigley was one of mm. uh, a trilogy of kids TV shows, Trumpton, uh, Campbell Green, and Chigley. Uh, uh-huh. were these kids TV shows uh, from the late 60s but they were shown repeatedly through the yeah. 70s when I was a boy you and then I, I remember Chigley specifically because of a, a song by the band Half Man Half Biscuit um, which was based on a, a song from the film called Time Flies By when you're the driver of a train um, just if, you, if you're bored one day check it out, check it out. Yeah, Half Man Half Biscuit sure. well worth listening to brilliant band <laughs> from Birkenhead where I'm from <clears throat> but yeah so Chigley and he's real scary and sort of the judge dies sort of seeing like that Fremont that uh the the that the actress Jean Fremont has has escaped and so they've got to kind of continue on. Then the viewpoint shifts to Fremont, who's on the run, and she of course bumps straight into Devlinois, who's just sort of fresh off of drinking this model's bl- uh, blood, so he's all covered in it and stuff. It's like very weird situation. She explains things in the casino lobby as some security guards come, and then the demons show up. Devlin identifies them as love mongers and they attack. And again, just some real fun things. This is Devlin yeah. easily kills these guys with cool martial arts moves. Like I think he does the exploding heart death punch to one of them and shatters another's pelvis. And it's described very luridly, which I think is, is a lot of fun. But yet we've still a real sense of pace to it as well, which is really well mm-hmm. done. It, it, the detail is descriptive, but you really you get that sense of the action and the pace driving yeah, for, you through yeah, it all it's as well. Yeah, it's surprisingly visceral, again, just sort of mm. for a, a, a text piece in here. Yeah. In the end, though, um, Devlin, like, Chingley shows up and approaches them, and Devlin says, like, hey, what's going on here? Like, come on. He, he realizes that, like, hey, I'm just sort of doing, like, save the damsel in distress stuff. And that's not really me. Like, I don't, you know, just because this lady says she's in trouble, like, I should probably interrogate all sides in this situation. And indeed, it turns out, uh, Chigley explains 
that he bought Jean's soul many years ago in exchange for fame and fortune. And the the collection date for it was 23 years from then. And, it, you know, it's been 23 years. There's a humorous aside, I think, where Devlin's like, why 23 years? And she was just like, I don't know, I, I thought of at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like a decent amount of, uh, yeah. of time to be fame, famous and, for, and, uh, and uh, rich. And Jean's pissed. She's like, what? Fame and fortune? I haven't done a movie in 10 years. Gets a little Sunset Boulevard, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. I was a flash in the pan by God, you know, that's what you could offer me. Um, Shingley does that. And this is sort of part of, uh, of one of the illustrations in it is he does this. What, what I think of now is the matrix move of like erasing her mouth. Yeah. So she can't talk, you know? Um, and in the end, he's just kind of like, look, a deal's a deal. And that's just kind of how it goes. We get some cool, again, just descriptions of magic and, and like supernatural things happening, which I think are really nice. And Devlin's like, yeah, okay, you know, that's just business. Like, I've sold my soul a couple of times, so I understand how, how it goes, you know. And in the end, Shingley disappears with Gene and his, and his love monsters, and the day is saved, I guess. Um, he says, he, uh, Shingley says he's just a hot, he's not a demon himself. He's just a hot line to the, to the hot line to hell for certain purposes. <laughs> and he says no hard feelings, then goes. And Devlin's like, yeah, sure, fine. And he just sort of walks off into the sunrise thinking that he needs a new hobby talking about tax thinks about taxidermy briefly and I, and I love that reminder of of of, of um you know in the way that you would always say that, oh john constantine from hellblaze whatever is you know he's got this grim side he's devlin's beyond that even he's just like a mighty deal's a deal shoulder yeah. shrug and it kind of it feeds off that sort of apathy he had earlier on like he's he's just drained of that sort of sense of of what life is and, and again you're reminded of that vampiric urge that 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 need to feed and mm-hmm. it, it, it's just it's brilliantly done slightly irritating that i don't know if it's what it's like on your copy but on the final page they, they, mm. they've overlaid the, yeah. the, some of the cards coming out and it makes it genuinely a bit tricky to read at a couple of points yeah it is a um, it is a problem that we've had a couple times in these specials and annuals where a need for sort of fancy graphic design yeah. comes at the extent of legibility you know yeah <laughs> which is um, Honestly, I would consider legibility the most important thing. You would especially hope. on these text stories, but it is it is not sometimes. Yeah. It's it's not as bad as um what in the sci-fi special this year where they had a Tyranny Rex story and the final page had like the Tyranny Rex logo um on the page in right. like grayscale, like <laughs> with, with dots and stuff. So over the writing. Exactly like letters. I swear to like I was like, oh my God. Like, right. I'm I'm too old. This is this <laughs> is for this is a 17 year old to read. Like I don't have these eyes anymore. But that that is a fantastic text stories go. That was a delight to read. I really yeah, enjoyed that I've one. been you know, like again, just these John Smith. Like I've, I've, I've really had a love affair with John Smith as a writer. I feel like mm-hmm. I've really liked a lot of his work, especially in '93. Actually, very strong John Smith year, and I've got, and I'm increasingly having more time for these tech stories in a way that yeah. I didn't before when they just felt like we're such a slog. This one's yeah. like actually worth sitting down with and just kind yeah. of taking in some of the some of the turns of phrase and stuff. Yeah, he's a proper writer. It's as simple as that, and he knows how to t- craft a story both with a comic panel, Absolutely. but also with, with prose as well. He yeah, knows it, painting within the different forms. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a different feel than uh, some of the text stories we've had that have literally just been a comic book script with some extra words added in. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I guess. Oh, and I guess. Hey, speaking of something that might have been better with a seventeen-year-old eye, because. <laughs> 
where the 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 twenty year olds reading this now would have been that age when this comic first came out. No, I don't know. Stretch, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Speaking of being at the end of our journey, after a quick that's, ad that, that's the, a good one. That works. Ah, for the two thousand eighty yearbook, which we covered last week, we go to Thrill Nine Breakdown on Ninth Street. Script robot John Wagner, art robot John Higgins, letting robot Tom Frame, and this one originally appeared in Prague's 620 and 621. Good stuff. Love John Higgins, of course, classic yeah. dread artist. I met him, actually, at a, at a comic book since, since I've been here. He's a nice guy. He's a lovely man. Lovely man. In a, in a couple in a fancy moped has taken the wrong exit and are now fumbling with maps. It's the story of anybody who ever's, who's, who's ever taken a, a Lyft or an Uber that's had a bad role can, can, can relate to. Or I guess just back in the old days when you actually didn't have GPS and you had to fumble with maps. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but suddenly the, the vehicle's drive unit breaks and they have to call the Moped Club. Oh, but the locals all around them are restless. We see kids tagging the vehicle with the name Jerko. Back at the car, owner Buzz Bieberly's on the line to the auto club. They don't make breakdown calls in that area, though. And the operator keeps it together as they basically call the judges in a panic. Like, oh, my God, what do we do? <laughs> um, there's a chance the judges might make it to you in time. Just hold tight. <laughs> Dredd gets the call, but he's four minutes away. A mob forms around the moped as the Bieberleys drop the shutters and the operator starts offering them life insurance as well as car insurance. But then their phone antenna on their vehicle gets snapped. The locals have made it into the top floor of the moped. And while Dredd's on the way, he sees a man jumping out of a window and being shot. It's a domestic disturbance and has to intervene. Like, hey, you. Like, you're under arrest, goddammit. <laughs> um, the Beaverleys are under siege as their moped is looted. They're locked in a closet. And Buzz has been grazed by a shotgun blast. Dredd arrests the couple and jumps back on his bike. Will he make it to the moped in time? We'll find out right now. <laughs> um, in the original one, there was a credits page that listed it. Oh, no, it's there. Yeah. Just they, yeah. This, I like the credits because it's the three Johns, you know, yes. uh, John W, John H, John F. Get it together. <laughs> um, a fancy moat. Yeah. Mopeds broken down a bad part of town is under siege. The neighborhood toughs are having a party as the owners are hiding in the bowels of the moped. Dreads on his way, but still manages to go. Baddies get closer. Bibulis rush to the safety of the shower, but the locals set fire to the place and Hun Bieberly accidentally breaks off the head of the shower and starts spewing water out on him. I don't know if that's how showers work, but, it, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, the water and um and the water tank is full, so it won't drain. Oh, that's why you got to do that whenever you make a stop. Come on, guys, it's just simple etiquette. Basic stuff. <laughs> Dread finally arrives on the scene to find the moped in flames. Um, as the Bieberleys are up to their necks in water, he fights the Dread fights the locals. The shower is nearly full. When Be when Buzz realizes something, he takes a car a card from his pocket and opens a vent in the shower, and the water starts to go down. As fire crews and more judges arrive on the scene, the Beavleys are released. Hey, at least they're still, still alive, and it was the Moped Club card that let them open that vent and survive. Hooray! <laughs> it, it, it's a great example of a, just a really simple idea, just executed brilliantly across a, a small number of pages, and there's lovely touches, like there's a in the second page of the second part, 
There's just um, whether the, the the hiding in the bathroom. There's just a, a, a bunch of multicolored noises about all of the things, which gives you a sense of all of the things happening outside. And totally. Them small and terrified in the middle. It's a bit like when you're in a tent and you hear all this noises outside. It seems so right. elevated and significant. <laughs> uh, it's it's just it's just it's it's a brilliant piece of craft. This story, I think, it's just it's really well executed. It's funny. It's fun. Um, completely light, but just done so well. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a. Yeah, very lightweight, fun, dread story. You know, I like the idea that whenever he gets an emergency call, he's got to also, yeah. like, arrest three or four people <laughs> on the way, you know? Like, there's just, he's just, like, it's just, con- it's a constant stream of yeah. arresting people and, like, enforcing the law, even on the four, way Four minutes is a long time in the life of Judge Dredd. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's settling everything. Yeah, fun, classic story, I think. Yeah, really good. And that takes us to the end of the yearbook. We're once more greeted by this magazine, Hydra, which I'm not a fan, you know, again, bad times. But with that, I must ask you, Colin, what were your top and bottom thrills for this, the 1994 Dread Yearbook? Pleasantly surprised by this. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. I haven't read it for a wee while, um, although I did read it as part of my reread not that long ago. Really good fun. But it's, it's, it's an annual that is or uh, a yearbook dominated by the art i think the art's the real standout they've used the format really well and they've chosen really bold strong art as a way to do it and so pick my picks on that basis sure so on that basis bottom is armitage which is a fine story it's very good it has a lot of space to do you know some interesting things with but not that much but the art just isn't just isn't a patch on on the rest of the art in in what is otherwise an absolutely glorious piece of of um of artistic work throughout mm. and on so that's my bottom and on that basis i put mean at my top because i just i think mick mcmahon's work there is just it's different level it's 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 black and white but it it has so much more life and color and energy to it um even with that sort of very stark black and white and i should say quite not flat so much but it's 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 it, 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 it you know it allows you to find your layers in it yeah uh, and then the space and it allows you to work with it and it's just done it's just done so well so on the basis i went i decided to go which i would never normally do for the art alone and on that basis i'm going armitage bottom and um me machine top but of no importance what we really want to know comrade is what are your top and bottom frills for oh, this man. yearbook I agree that I was I was I was pleasantly surprised by the by, 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 by the contents of this of this yearbook. You know, we've had some that have been very throwaway or full of filler and other things. You know, there's some filler in here, but it's not it's not too bad. I would say it's because yeah. just a lot of retrospective stuff. I think is nice, especially as we're reaching the end of these of these publications. I've got to join you with Me Machine as my top. Um, I think. The art is really amazing and really different than anything else we're yeah. seeing at this point. And I think that yeah. really earns it a lot of points, I think, to me. Honestly, like my feeling looking at this actually remind, uh, makes me feel a similar way to some of the like early like uh, like like Kev O'Neill nemesis work, I guess. Yeah. Something that not that they really look the same, but just that they're this this art that sort of appears here fully, fully realized. And looks very and is different than anything else. It's not what you're expecting. Page. Yeah, but and you then, engage that, with it really quickly. Yes, and then has a and and then really catches my attention. Mm. You know, like this has that same to me at least has that same kind of bolt to lightning feel of just like whoa, like what is yeah. this? Like this is not what I was expecting, and really interesting in that unexpected way. 
uh, for my like, and just that you know this this one image, this full page image of 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 me in the judge uniform is one of my favorite things. Honestly, yeah. I really think it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, for my bottom, I'm I'm having some difficulty actually. I guess because I like the I I just thought that like the writing actually and some of the art for Armitage was was fun. Um, I might say Hershey just because I'm not a like I said I'm just not a fan of Pert's version of Hershey. Yeah. Like not that I'm not like doubting it. Otherwise, I think it's fun and just has a lot of that. Like I, I do appreciate that. I, I, I know it's not from the, that, that originally, but what I think of is just Austin Powers stuff of just you know here's a lot of convenient shadows and like things in the way of this of of, of high this nudity. I think that's fun. He really works his leg placements to avoid a, anything. A yeah. lot, a lot of people like oh, we're on a Zoom call, so you can't like I'm doing like a, like a whoa, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that sort of like like making an action move with one lifted leg kind of kind yeah. of thing. A lot of that. Um, but again, like for me, I feel this is really me like not being fair because I think I've just got a really, I've I've got a really rock solid image of what Hershey's supposed to look like. That sort of ball and base to then going elsewhere and so when it's not that i'm like this isn't that's not hershey this is some other thing i don't like it and is enough to tip it into bottom thrill for me but in a strong feet like yeah. because it's a strong field this time i think and i think what i will say as well i, I very nearly gave the text story my top as well because it, it it was really good um, it was just that I yeah. slipped onto this art thing, and I thought, well, okay, I can't really give the, the text story based <laughs> on that. But the art, I think, I think it, yeah, the, the quality is such that the text story um, almost got it because it is just so well done. I, I agree, and I and I think that's important to mention because we've certainly had a lot of a, a, a lot of these side episodes where we've had to specifically say that you can't count the text piece as bottom <laughs> as the bottom story, <laughs> and so I think for it to be in the running for a top is um, is 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 a nice thing. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. And I think that's it for the yearbook. Um, if you want, if I, I hope you enjoy the show. As always, you can find Space Spitter 2000 on Google Play Store, Spotify, iTunes, or our site at, at a bigmeg1.com. Big Meg One, not Space Spitter 2000. Contact us at bigmeg1 at gmail.com. The 2080 forums are our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Um, for all those, check out Big Meg One with one written out. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, um, by Steve Green and your friends in the two, or Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends in the 2080 forums. Wink. Um, and if you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradline. That's our podcast network, and you can support the show, get advanced episodes. Colin, where can we find you on the internet if you'd like to be found? You can find me and my friends at the 2008 forum. We spend a lot of time hanging around there, um, just just chatting about about 2008. Apart from that, I, I lead a quiet, modest life, just reading comics in my front room. So you're welcome to pop around anytime and join me doing that as well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll leave that. I'll I'll leave that up to the internet to the internet uh, detectives to figure out how that can be done. <laughs> Yeah, come back next time as we're rolling forward with a couple big uh, dread stories. Uh, Mechanismo continues running up his body count in Mega City 1. Uh, Shimura investigates Hondo City. And most excitingly for me, we'll finally get to the games in The Return of the Taxidermist. Oh, that's a great story. Absolutely. <laughs> this, this Ian Gibson stuff is super amazing. And until then, I'm Conrad, they're Colin, and we are Big Mac One. Drop it! it. <laughs>